Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us. That we would hear your word. And it would bear fruit in our lives all to your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're being seated, if you would, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, which was read this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you'd like to follow along in the Red Bibles, uh, it's page 995. And I happen to notice today that the back row is missing some Bibles because, you know, we like people to take them if they need one, which is all the more reason to sit up at the front next time. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 1, page 995. And in this passage, we'll see a brief encounter, especially verses 6 and 7, a brief encounter, uh, a brief event recounting of an event in Timothy's life where Paul, the apostle, the bishop, Paul, lays his hands on Timothy and prays for him. So part of what we're going to do today is identify what event that is. Let me tell you what it's not. So we see in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, you don't need to turn there now, I'm going to tell you what it says, but Acts chapter 16, we see that this man, Timothy, was already a Christian, was already a disciple when Paul met him. So this event in 2 Timothy is not his baptism or his conversion, because that had happened before Paul came on the scene with Timothy at all, so it's not that. We also see in 1 Timothy, the the book just before, chapter 4, verse 14, there's a mention of when the council of elders, Paul would be included in that, but the council of elders laid their hands on you, Timothy. That would be what we call Timothy's ordination. I'm going to show you a picture here. Uh, This is what, that's not what an ordination looks like, Um, but if it comes up, you'll see but the way our tradition does ordination is all the, all the priests, all the elders, come around the person being ordained and they all lay hands on. And so, you just have to imagine this in your mind. Imagine me kneeling down with the bishop's hands on my head, surrounded by priests, all laying their hands on as well. That's the way in our tradition we uh, ordain, coming back to this picture of the council of elders laying their hands. Ordination. So that's ordination. It's not his baptism. It's not his ordination. Uh, Our reading about Timothy is something else. It's a different event in his life where Paul, the bishop, lays hands on and prays for him. And that event in Timothy's life is what we now would call confirmation. Now the Bible does not use that specific word, but that's what it is. This event in Timothy's life is the practice that came to be known as confirmation. When we confirm the promises made in baptism, uh, now that we're old enough, now that we're making an adult decision, we confirm those promises and we come to the bishop to have him pray for us, lay hands on us, asking us to be greater filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're seeing in Timothy's life. So this morning, as we read about Timothy's confirmation. We're going to look at the practice of confirmation and the the gospel proclamation uh, that is in that right. So we're going to look together at five aspects of confirmation and the grace of God that's given to us in it. So five elements of confirmation and the, the gospel that we see proclaimed in it. So the first is this. In confirmation, we declare the faith. 
In confirmation, we declare the faith. Now, I will just say, because it's me, I couldn't help this week uh, but think about the uh, scene in The Office, the TV show, The Office, where that quirky, awkward boss, Michael Scott, he's having money problems, and he's told by another character, rather dumbly, that he should just declare bankruptcy. He's got money problems, that's what he should do, just declare bankruptcy. And so he, not having any idea what that means, walks into the office and simply loudly says, I declare bankruptcy. And then when informed by another co-worker that just simply saying the word bankruptcy doesn't actually accomplish anything, he looks back and says, I didn't say it, I declared it. But in this, we don't just sort of randomly, wherever we want, whenever we want, or privately declare the faith, sort of office style. But in confirmation, we come into the church in a formal and structured way, and we have the opportunity to personally and publicly affirm the faith of the church, the faith of Scripture. So our prayer book specifically says that the Anglican church requires public and personal profession of faith from every adult believer in Jesus Christ. And confirmation is its liturgical expression. So our tradition says, very clearly, every Christian should declare the faith publicly, and this is the way that we have in our tradition to do that. So the Bible specifically says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus says in Matthew 10, everyone who acknowledges me, speak, I mean, verbally acknowledges me, everyone who acknowledges me before other people, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And so the Bible makes clear that Christians are expected to confess, verbally and publicly, confess our faith. That we personally hold to the faith of the church as taught in Scripture. And confirmation is our tradition's way of doing that. And it's not merely an individualistic faith. We don't, we're not supposed to, sort of just decide for ourselves which pieces of the Christian faith we like and personally hold to, but rather in confirmation we profess the faith of the church as revealed by God in the Bible. We confess the faith once for all delivered to the saints, as it says in Jude or as Paul summarizes the gospel very briefly in our passage today, beginning at verse 9, he says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and now which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we stand in awe of this work of God done for us, and we confess the faith. As the confirmation service specifically asks of each person, they get asked, do you joyfully receive the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? And then each and every person has to say, I do. We personally embrace what God has done for us in Jesus and what he has told us is true in the Bible. And then in the confirmation service, those being confirmed along with the rest of the church are required to then personally affirm the Apostles' Creed 
an ancient and concise uh, expression of the teachings of the Bible, the faith of the church. So we confess the faith. And we, we as it, uh, excuse me, in confirmation, we publicly join with the church as an adult in the faith. I try very hard in confirmation preparation to make clear to people that this is not a childhood step, this is an adult step. It's amazing to me uh, the way it's sort of become in many people's mind, because I've heard people uh, explicitly say this to me, I want my kid baptized so that they can decide if they want to be, or excuse me, I want my kid confirmed so that they can then decide if they want to be Christian or not. I I find myself, no. (laughs) You did that in baptism. They need to decide, I'm committed to this for the rest of my life. And only people who are saying, I'm committed as an adult making this uh, commitment should be confirmed. And so in confirmation, we publicly declare and personally assent to, and we personally submit to, and we personally affirm the faith of the church as taught in the Bible and expressed in the Apostles' Creed. So the first is we declare the faith. Second, in confirmation, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, he says this, he says, Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The gift of God, the Holy Spirit, which came through the laying on of hands by the Apostle. Now, it's not that we didn't have the Holy Spirit before, because as Christians, all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit by whom we can call God Father, as it says in Romans chapter 8. All Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible shows, and personal experience often reinforces, that while all who believe in Christ are given the Holy Spirit, What happens for many of us, what we often experience, is that we often experience this increased awareness, increased expression of His presence, increased filling, increased power in our lives at different times. And part of what is prayed for in confirmation is for the Holy Spirit to greater fill and empower us. One of the prayers specifically prayed in that service is, may this person being confirmed daily increase in your Holy Spirit more and more. Not just once, but more and more. For the Holy Spirit to work in our lives more and more. For Him to give us specific gifts that He wants for us to use uh, for the sake of His church. That we would be filled again and again, more and more, until we come to the fullness of God's heavenly kingdom. We have the Holy Spirit in us when we trust in Jesus. And in confirmation, we are prayed for for greater and greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. A level of infilling and power that we need in order to boldly and faithfully follow Christ over our whole lives. So in confirmation, we are prayed for to be filled again and renewed, filled with the Holy Spirit. Third. In confirmation, we are sent on mission. In confirmation, we are sent on mission. So, in the baptism service, remember, confirmation, we're confirming what was done in baptism. 
So in the baptism service, it closes with the congregation speaking to the person baptized and uh, commissioning them and sending them and giving them a charge. And it goes like this. We receive you into the fellowship of the church. And then we give, you, give the person baptized a charge. Confess the faith of Christ crucified. Proclaim his resurrection. And share with us in the royal priesthood of all his people. And the point is that commissioning, that sending, remains on us. And so then at the end of the confirmation service, which we will use today, we are told to go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage and fight the good fight of the faith that you may finish your course with joy. Go, proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. See, there are people who are near to us, who are far from Jesus, and every single Christian is called as a missionary to them. We are each individually, as Christians, called to proclaim to the world, to our families, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, the truth and love of Jesus. And in confirmation, we are greater empowered by the Holy Spirit specifically for that work. And we are reminded again of our calling and commissioning to go and make disciples of all nations. And we are each, by God, sent in mission to the world that many may come to know Jesus and be saved. Confirmation is a time that we are sent and commissioned as missionaries to the world. I got to go to a major missions conference last week called New Wineskins. It was fantastic, I loved it, and everybody should go in three years when they have the next one. But one speaker shared an experience of uh, some Western Christians traveling and doing ministry with brothers and sisters in Africa. And while they were there, they saw God do some amazing things, and so one of the Americans asked the, some Africans, why does it seem that God does so many miracles in Africa and not so many back home. And one of the Africans, I think very wisely, replied, I don't know why he does more here than in your country, but I do know that he usually does them when we leave the church. So friends, we are not called to just remain in our beautiful church. We are sent on mission. And in confirmation, that is made explicit over each one of us. We are all sent in mission, and we will see God do amazing things as we go. So we declare the faith. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are sent on mission. And fourth, in confirmation, we are empowered for godliness. As those who are in Christ, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are then empowered to live godly lives. One of the vows that we make in confirmation, which uh, will come through this question on the screen, will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? And then we must answer, I'm going to ask you participation here, ready? And the answer is, I will, the Lord being my helper. See, we promise to live godly lives, acknowledging that we then need the Lord's help in order to be able to do that. And part of that, part of why we, we vow that and make that commitment is so that when we are tempted, we've already made the decision. We've already made the decision to be godly. Now that's not easy, 
but at least it settles it in our mind that we've already made the decision necessary in that situation. So should I watch that on TV? No. I've already promised to make godly decisions. May I get drunk? No. I've already promised to make godly decisions. Must I get up and go to worship even though I'm tired? Yes. I've already promised to make godly decisions. And in the service, the bishop and the congregation then specifically pray that God would give us grace to remain faithful and that we will be led into the knowledge and obedience. We believe that God hears and answers that prayer. That we are given an increase of power to live godly lives of obedience. Now I hope you know that you are not saved by being obedient, by living godly lives. We are saved because of what Jesus does for us on the cross, which we receive in faith. And when we are united to Jesus in His death and resurrection, He gives us His righteousness as our own. That's how we're saved. And then as His saved and called and claimed and adopted children, we are then called to do the very often very difficult work of living godly lives. That is not easy. At least it's not easy for me, sinner that I am. But we are all empowered for the task of living godly lives, following the example and following the commands of our Lord Jesus. So in confirmation, we are empowered for godliness. And fifth, in confirmation, we are called to suffering. Confirmation, we are called to suffering. Verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. See, Jesus did not come in military victory. He did not come in what some people today like to call victorious living. He came in love and humility in order to suffer for us. And in His redemptive suffering, He showed His love and defeated sin and death and the devil, not through proud military conquest, but through suffering and death. By death, death defeated. And His suffering and death is what we are then joined into and called to follow. Philippians 1.29, this should be on every child's list of uh, verses to memorize. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Romans 8, 16-17, the first half of this is very famous, the second half is not, and you'll see why. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. It's fairly well known, this next part is not. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. As one man who has suffered much for the sake of the gospel said at that recent New Wineskins Mission Conference, he said, we cannot settle for bumper stickers and slogans when we are called to scars. We are not called to comfort 
and luxury. We are called to join with our Lord who entered the brokenness and pain of the world in order to suffer with and suffer for sinners like us. And we cannot settle for slogans and bumper stickers when we are called to share in His scars. And so in the confirmation service, some bishops do what is called the buffet. This was not done to me, but when I learned of this tradition, I now decided, not that my opinion matters, all bishops should do this. What they do is they will gently and symbolically give a little slap on the face of the person confirmed. Not hard enough to hurt, but hard enough to notice it. Why? Because in the very first step that we make as an adult Christian, that's what confirmation is in our tradition, in the very first step that we take as an adult Christian, we are told immediately that we are going to suffer for it. You will suffer by giving up your rights for the sake of others. You will suffer by giving up your money for the sake of others. You will suffer in joining others in their pain when you otherwise wouldn't have to. You will suffer by giving your lives for the sake of the gospel instead of the American dream. You will suffer when your business practices may be different than those who don't know Christ and you get left out as a result. And yes, some will suffer by being beaten, thrown in prison, and killed for the sake of Jesus. And many of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world today know that to accept Jesus and to be baptized into His name is to prepare to be killed for it. We are not called to bumper stickers and slogans, but to His scars. And so friends, especially those who have gone through the rite of confirmation in our tradition or another, I want you to hear again what has been done for you. We have had the chance to publicly declare the faith which you personally agree to. You've been filled again with the Holy Spirit. You personally have been sent on mission. You have been empowered for godliness. And you have been called to suffering. Always remember whose you are and what He has done for you. He has called you His own. He has empowered you for mission and called you to join in His work in the world, which, yes, includes suffering for the sake of the Gospel. So may we be a people who declare the faith in words and action. May we be people who live lives filled with the Holy Spirit, sent on mission, empowered for godliness, and willingly suffer for the sake of the world and for our Lord Jesus. May we live lives of the called and the confirmed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, write again the truth and power of our confirmation on our hearts today. Fill us again with your Spirit. Send us again in mission. Empower us again for godliness. Call us again to suffer with you for the sake of the world. Let our lives be spent for the glory of your name. Amen.